You're listening to the Yakima Chief Hops Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Yakima Chief Hops Bigger Than Beer Podcast, where we discuss the larger impact of the craft beer community. This season, we have been focusing on Women Plus in the industry, highlighting women in various fields of the hop and beer community. Before we uh, really dive in, I want to remind listeners that the Women's International Beer Summit is April 22nd through 24th, and tickets are on sale. So go ahead and go check that out. Make sure you have that on your calendar. And today also marks a finale to season one of Bigger Than Beer. And we could not ask for a better guest to wrap up this season than Terry Ferendorf. Terry Ferendorf is the founder of Pink Boot Society and an award-winning brewmaster with an absolutely stellar career in brewing. Welcome, Terry. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Oh, we are absolutely so stoked to have uh, have you on for this finale of the podcast, and, and especially with this season's focus being what it is. Um, and, and we're just, you know, when we think about how could we have a, a better guest, you know, you're, as I say, an award-winning brewmaster, a founder of a Pink Boots Society, um, and it's a big year for Pink Boots Society, uh, celebrating 15 years, um, the anniversary of Pink Boots Society, and we've been a collaborative partner, YCH has, uh, with Pink Boots Society for the Pink Boots Blend for five years. So it's the year of five, that's what everyone's been saying, uh, with 15 uh, for Pink Boots Society and five years for the Pink Boots Blend. So what, what a year for it. Um, so we're very excited to have you on. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to kind of dive into these topics with you today. Um, and this podcast episode is being released on International Women's Day. Um, so of course, we're going to talk about that a little bit to kick things off. Uh, so first question for you, Terry, is how are you going to be celebrating International Women's Day this week? Well, I will be involved in a Pink Booth collaboration brew day, of course. Right uh, what else would I be doing <laughs> on that day? Uh, I'm actually going to be at Icicle Brewing in Leavenworth, Washington. Oh, and I've filled out the entire week pretty much with collab brews, mostly in Seattle. Um, and so that'll be amazing because it's going to be... <laughs> It's going to be a whole week, brew after brew each day. There you go. And connecting with different women for each of those brew days, that's really exciting. Um, and what a way to celebrate then, then getting together for that, for those collab brew days, which are just an awesome, awesome way to, to show unity within the community. I love that. How does the Pink Boot Society celebrate International Women's Day? I know, I know, I think <laughs> I can guess the one, um, but could you talk to me a little bit about that and why this is such a significant day for the organization and for members? Well, um, you know, International Women's Day has been celebrated around the world uh, for a fairly long time. I don't know the exact history. Um, I became aware of it, oh, I think in the 19th, 1990s or something, but it really wasn't anything that people were really talking about. But um, it's very, very popular and important in other countries where women are not getting educated or the opportunities to have education and actually have careers or even drive a car in some instances. So um, I think it's wonderful that in the U.S. through the beer industry, we're really celebrating it in a way that 
Americans maybe hadn't done that before. And our little uh, International Women's Day event, which is the collab International Women's Collaboration Brew Day or Pink Boots Collaboration Brew Day, is now worldwide. And um, it's actually our greatest fundraiser to fund our scholarship program. So that's why it's so important for us to, to partner with you guys over at Yakima Chief because those Pink Boots Blend Hops is literally our largest fundraising opportunity. Um, and so I'm not sure how many scholarships we did in the last year. I think it was nearly 100 maybe. Um, all together, I'm not sure of all the numbers. You may have those better than I do at this point. But there's a lot of women who are really having the opportunities now that they never had before. And it's really a big part of um, why we do the Collaboration Brew Day. And it's the result of the Collaboration Brew Day. And, you know, in addition to raising the money for scholarships, we're also encouraging women to connect with each other. Um, and, you know, a lot of men actually participate in International Women's Collaboration Brew Day and Pink Boots Collaboration Brew Day as well. And uh, all of it is uh, raising awareness for women in the fermented beverages industries for Pink Boots itself and for the scholarship programs, which are all extremely successful, but always, um, as any nonprofit is, always in need of funding to make sure the mission can continue. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful way to celebrate the, the meaning of the day, you know, uh, supporting women, helping advance women through education, which is, you know, the mission uh, and, you know, goal of Pink Boot Society. So it's, I think it's a perfect symbol and activity to celebrate this special day. So I, I love to touch on that. And um, I actually just participated in a brew day today as we're recording this with other members of the Yakima Chief Hops team from all different departments. So we had HR, quality, logistics get together who are not usually involved in the brewing process at all um, and get to learn from, from our R&D brewer. And it was so great to connect with other women in my company that I don't usually get to talk to on, on a regular basis. And I think that's a, a wonderful spirit of the day as well. So brew day is bringing people together all over. I love it. I know. It, it does. And, I, and, and, you know, I really love it when I see companies like yours where the women who are not directly involved with beer or hops or, or malt for that matter, um, get an opportunity to really see what their customers are doing with their, you know, mm -hmm. their raw materials that they're producing. We had a similar event at Great Western Malting when I worked in the Malt Innovation Center there. And it was really popular with our, you know, our coworkers in finance and all the other departments that you were mentioning. So it reminds me of what, what we've been doing at Great Western as well. So, so I'm really happy to hear that the Yakima Chief invited all the women. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an awesome experience. Um, I know Pink Boot Society has had 1,600 brew days across 20 countries, and it's amazing to see the global reach of the Pink Boot Society today. But I would love to touch on the history of the Pink Boot Society, which you are, of course, involved with. Um, so uh -huh. what inspired you to establish the Pink Boot Society? Well, you know, after 19 and a half, about 19 years as a brewmaster, I decided to take a little break. That was 2007. 
I was 47 years old at the time. And so I started on this road trip where I wanted to visit all my brewing peers and just visit breweries. And there was only maybe a thousand breweries in the United States at that time, which is about, you know, one tenth of what maybe, you know, one ninth or something of what we have now. And um, so I'm connecting the dots and visiting breweries and, you know, some of them, I put the word out there that, you know, I'm, I've got this camper in this minivan that's pulling the camper, so I need 30 feet of parking space. But if you want me to come and visit your brewery, let me know, and I will try to connect the dots. And I was invited to breweries where I did not know anyone. And so I knew that I was probably going to be the first woman, the brewer, that they'd ever met. And kind of in honor of that idea, um, uh, I, I mentioned to my husband, I wish I had something like, you know, that represented my gender, like, gee, a pair of pink rubber boots. Now, I'd never worn pink rubber boots up to that point. It was always <laughs> black. I didn't even know you could get pink rubber boots. But then his mom sent me a pair of pink rubber boots in the mail, and I wore them on this trip because I mentioned them out there on the Brewers Forum, and people started asking to see those boots. So I just started wearing them, even though they were a little bit gaudy and flashy in my mind. And I started meeting women who were brewing or on the packaging line or in the lab or, you know, all these different functions within the brewery, um, within breweries that I was visiting. And they had never heard of me. And I had been a brewmaster for 19 years at that time. And they were, um, I could tell that a lot of them felt kind of alone, that they felt like they were the only one. And, and um, you know, breweries have a reputation for having a little bit of a bro culture. And sometimes that bro culture is maybe not as easy for women to fit into. Um, some women fit into it fine and other ones, maybe it's, it's a little bit less comfortable. And so I got this clear sense that these women needed mentoring or somehow to connect with each other. So I, I started out by just collecting the names of every woman I could find. Like, Because the first question is, how many of us are there? Mm -hmm. And I did not know that answer. So I started collecting names. And then the next question was, oh, you have 60 names on your list? Who are they? I want to talk to them. I want to connect. I want to network. Oh, is that where we're going? So then, you know, I'm, we, we ended up trying to meet together uh, during the Craft Brewers Conference in San Diego in 2008. We had 16 members show up at a lunch, and I'd invited the women beer writers to cover it because I just knew that it was going to be uh, historic because, I don't know, we had never had only women brewers in a room prior to that. Wow. So uh, we had six women journalists there, beer writers, and um, I said, you guys, we got to vote. Um, what do you want to vote on? And I said, uh, you know, I said, um, are we an organization? Are we an online list? What are we? And they voted to be an organization. Hmm. And I said, okay, I don't know what that means, but I think I'm going to need help. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like more work than just a list. And then um, I said, well, who are we? And they said, well, Terry, it's easy. We're women brewers. And I said, look again, there's women beer writers here, and they've asked to to join. And they voted a lot of talk, and they voted that at the time to represent um, three things, women beer professionals. And since that time, um, we've expanded it. So now it's women 
fermentation, not just beer, but, but beverage fermentation professionals. And, and you have to define these things now. So professional is someone who earns 25% of her income or more from fermented beverages. And that includes like the uh, allied trades like hops and malt and things like that. Um, beer delivery truck drivers or whatever. And, um, and now, you know, even the term women is defined and we define it basically as um, anyone, you know, who identifies as a woman or as a non-binary or non-gender specific. Uh, it's pretty much uh, can be a Pink Boots member. So that's, that's pretty awesome. And I love the fact that we're really being um, encouraging and embracing. I mean, I originally said that Pink Boots Society uh, was created to inspire, encourage, and empower women to advance their, you know, fer fermented beverages careers through education. And now I think we have a few more words besides those three, but I started out with inspire, encourage, and empower. Oh, and now it's educate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you start a, when you start an organization, which I never had before, so and nobody told me what to do, I had to make it up. <laughs> and there was nothing Started like with it. a not list like and it. went from there. <laughs> there was nothing like it. It's not like I could say, well, it's just like that organization except for women. Or, oh, it's just like, like that women's organization except for fermented beverages. I mean, there was nothing like it. So I had to make it up. And I thought... I really had to think about it and I thought, well, you know, if we just have a party once a year or a lunch once a year, it's going to fall apart. And I thought we need a cause that is bigger than any one of us. And I thought the cause should be, you know, let's break through any gender based glass ceilings. But they're really I hate to even use that term. So I decided that I would call them education based glass ceilings because I don't want to. You know, it's a little tough to take on the patriarchy, but if we could just empower women to advance their careers through educational opportunities, we'll end up leveling that playing field at some point. Uh, you know, once the employers out there realize that women bring their top game to work every day uh, and that they want to advance, but they just need the opportunities to get there. So uh, education speaks. So that's what we did. And, um, you know, it took me... <laughs> I, I'm a brewer. I'm an artist. I am not an administrator. So it took me about four years to get that 501c3 from the IRS. Oh, it was like a headache because I don't, I don't like paper unless I'm painting on it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to deal with it all the time. <laughs> anyway, so so okay, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, just reflecting on on how the Pink Boot Society has evolved over the years you were talking about it started with a lunch and well it started with a list and then it became a lunch you know that's what day one looked like and and what does it look like now to you when you observe what the society looks like today i see a network of strong empowered women lifting each other up helping each other uh concern for each other befriending each each other you know, hugging and, and just ha hoisting a beer with each other. And so, so much camaraderie, so much potential for friendship and more camaraderie. And honestly, um, 
I'm going to take advantage of that. There's like 2,500 women all over the world. Some countries have chapters, some don't. Some countries have more than one chapter. And as far as I'm concerned, that's 2,500 couches or sofas that I could surf all over the world. <laughs> I bet you could. I bet you could. <laughs> and like do collaboration brew days. There you go. So, um, you know, I, I'm retired now from my beer uh, uh uh, employment. I'm not retired in my heart from the beer industry because I will continue to be a part of it through judging and volunteering and, and doing Pink Boots collaboration brew days. I mean, Pink Boots Society is my daughter mm-hmm. uh, in a way. And now she's pretty grown up and she's mm-hmm. gone off to college and she's hanging out with other other people who are managing her, thank God, because I did it for nine years and that was long enough. But I also kind of feel like, you know, I didn't have human children, but I I kind of have 2,500 daughters, and those are the members of Pink Boots Society. So, you know, if one of them reaches out to me, I don't ignore them. I always write back. Maybe not right away, but I do. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, um, I think it'd be wonderful to meet more of them because they – they tell me I inspire them, but every one of them inspires me as well. So, you know, I love to hear their stories. I love to read about them when Pink Boots does member spotlights in their newsletter. I'm just excited that I'm not like one of only like a handful anymore. I'm so excited that I'm part of this movement. And, uh, you know, when in the early in my career, you know, we didn't think about women brewers. We were just brewers. And I was the only woman brewer I knew practically forever. And there might be a woman here or there who came into the beer industry and then maybe left, became a dental hygienist. I'm, who knows? And I'm th- and at the time, I would have thought, oh, she prefers to be a dental hygienist. But, you know, maybe she just didn't get the kind of support that she needed. So I feel like that... Um, that turnover of women within the beer and fermented beverages industries, that Pink Boots is basically stopping that or slowing that. And in fact, we have way more influx of women who have become interested in these careers. And I think part of that is, is that there's some kind of a magical power behind uh, organizing and banding together and naming yourself as a group. Because once we had a name, and some people don't like the color pink and they don't like the name Pink Boot Society, but you know, it's never stuck with it now. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't put a lot of forethought into naming it, but it was just supposed to be the name of a list of the 60 women on the list that I had found. But once it was named, it was a lightning rod um, for attention uh, from, you know, media and bloggers and the beer industry itself. And people were so excited. And not just women, but men would tell me, I have a daughter. This is so cool. Maybe she'll want to be a brewer too or whatever. I'm a male blogger and and this is the most exciting thing. I didn't think there was any women brewers. And now there's this list and people, men are so happy to have women to work with side by side. Uh, Most men are amazing like that. The few that choose to be weirdly bro-ish about it and and don't want to see women in the beer industry well luckily they just keep their mouth shut because we're here to stay (laughs) (laughs) oh i love all those sentiments um out so when you were you were kind of reflecting on 
um, how it was when you started and, and whatnot. And I, I would be interested to dive a little bit deeper into that. So outside of the Pink Boot Society, what was the industry like 20 years ago? Well, 20 years, I've been in for almost 34 years. So 20 years ago is recent history for me. <laughs> It was easier 20 years ago than it was 30 years ago, I would guess. Um, I mean, I'll just go way back. All right. The way back from when I first started, I mean, there were, um, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, what's so funny is that the men I'm going to quote here are my friends now, and I'm sure they don't even remember saying these ridiculous things, and they would be appalled if I reminded them or named names, which I'm not going to name names, but like... Um, I went to uh, do a, a brewing interview with one where I brewed with them all day, and they they brought me into the mill room and said, can you lift this 55-pound sack of grain over your head because the hopper to the mill was six feet off the ground? And I, and I said, no, but I'd get cinder blocks and some boards, and I'd build some steps, and I know how fast the mill runs, and I can empty that 55-pound sack into two five-gallon buckets, bring the first one up, dump it, by the time I get the second one up, I, nothing, I mean, nothing has slowed down. We're going to mill in the same amount of time. And they're like, oh, okay. Another one asked me, can you carry a full half barrel of beer up a flight of steps? And I said, no, I can't. I said, but there's other ways to get a keg of beer up to the top of the steps. I said, I could put a slide, just some boards down, and get a winch at the top and get a net, make a net and just winch that baby up there or I'll take some um, like a hand truck and a lot of hand trucks have the slides on the back and you just bump 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 all the way up the steps and that particular brewer who, who's a very good friend of mine now um, and he didn't know me then we were speaking on the phone and he said well there's no need for me to interview you because uh, we require all of our brewers to be able to carry a full half barrel of beer up a flight of steps and I said, well, that's 160 pounds just for the beer, not including the weight of the keg shell. I said, you're really putting wear and tear on your brewers. But a lot of men in those days took on that, those physical challenges. And, of course, now they have bad backs and bad knees, and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those kinds of interview questions, I hope, are not being asked anymore because the true question is, and women are very, very clever, and everybody who's smart should take advantage of that. So if you ask a woman, there's a keg of beer sitting at the bottom of the steps. It needs to get to the top of the steps. How would you do it? And a woman would finesse all the options, and she would come up with an answer that's very clever and very safe. So if you want a safe brewery and you want to do a safety audit, bring in a woman brewer and ask her to do the safety audit and and don't tell her how you want things done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Say, we need this particular job accomplished. We have this 55-pound sack of grain. It's on the ground. The hopper on the mill, it's unfortunate, but it's six feet off the ground. You know, if we weren't going to put any investment into <laughs> changing that mill, um, you know, how would you get the grain from the floor up to the six-foot level? And there's, I mean, women not only are clever, but sometimes we're smaller, and that's an advantage. We have small hands, and so um, there have been breweries I've worked for where the fermenters were stacked right up against the wall, and when the glycol pipes uh, leaked, 
the guys were too big, but I could shimmy underneath a fermenter and and crawl up behind it, and I could get to the leak, you know? And so I could get my wrenches back there. It wasn't easy, but I could, uh, you know, drain out the glycol, you know, and, and then uh, and then get some some uh, plumbing tape and stuff and fix the, so I could fix the leaks. So, so not only are women gonna make a safer brewer, brewery that is safe for, let's say, men brewers over the age of 50 who have not finessed it their whole life and who have overly gorillaed all their tasks and so now they have body um, health uh, injury, old injury issues, um, not only would they be able to work in a safe brewery that a woman has basically helped you build a better brewery, uh, but any woman of any size could work in a brewery that has been properly designed by a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love your your the concept of saying, okay, here's a job that needs to be done. And, you know, here's, here you know, and then how would you approach it? Because you could ask anyone that and you might get a different answer, but then you have like five more ways that that could possibly be accomplished, which one's the safest, easiest, and most efficient instead of just saying like, and we want you to do it the specific way that we've always done it. That's really, really hard. <laughs> so I like, I liked that point of if the, here's well, a job, right. how it would you do it? <laughs> everybody talks about thinking outside of the box, mm -hmm. but there's not one box mm -hmm. everybody has their own box right. so if you want to think outside of your own box ask someone and they'll be thinking inside their own mm -hmm. box right mm -hmm. um and so uh, you know sometimes you have to dismantle the box <laughs> so you can get outside of it so um so yeah we need to start asking smarter questions of each other mm -hmm. in order to get really creative responses and, uh, you know, all of the fermented beverages industries can benefit from the way that women think and how clever we are. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't over-gorilla uh, physically things the way that a young man could. But, boy, we can uh, think circles around um, some of those tasks. So I, I read in, in your biography online that you were the third woman craft brewmaster in the U.S., what was it like in 1988 working as a woman in brewing? Well, you know, I didn't think of myself as a woman in brewing. I was just one of the brewers. I had belonged to a homebrew club called the San Andreas Malts in San Francisco, and about 10 of us went pro about the same time. Mm -hmm. I was the only woman um, homebrewer in that club, um, I mean, some of the guys had spouses, but the spouses didn't, the wives didn't really show up. Um, so I was the one doing, you know, actual brewing. And so we just all were out there, you know, finding jobs. Um, you know, some, some people aren't going to hire you because they're going to ask the wrong kinds of questions and they're going to try to provide you with the wrong kinds of answers. But, um, you know, so I know you're probably going to ask me about advice for, for women brewers. So here, I'm going to give some of it right now. And that is, you know, sure, there were people who took one look at me and said, um, we're not hiring, or who knows why they wouldn't even want to interview me, as I already mentioned. I went, I went to visit one brewery that was 
semi-rurally located and I wore my best business suit from when I was a computer programmer in the 1980s in San Francisco and he told me I dressed better than his banker um, you know and I've got my little flats and pantyhose on and I'm running around the brewery behind him getting my tour um, and so there were plenty of brewers that I went to talk to who didn't hire me and maybe they didn't have an opening but maybe they just didn't want to hire me because I was a brewer. And you know what? The best revenge is work for somebody else and be amazing. Mm -hmm. Be so good at your job that those people, not only do they become your friends and they would be appalled to be reminded of the dumb questions they asked you, but make be so, so good at your job and so fantastic that they're jealous that they didn't hire you and they're jealous of that other company of the other brewery or the other kombucha maker or winemaker or distillery or whatever you know go and win a whole bunch of awards and get up there on stage and be proud you know like miss america but better than you know high heels in a bathing suit you're wearing your gold medals or whatever <laughs> and let them look and say you know i remember interviewing her why didn't we hire her i remember well you were making poor choices at the time and probably asking poor questions during the interview. That's why. That's and awesome. now you're sorry. <laughs> uh, you have hired or trained 51 or 54 uh, uh, brewers. Uh, how would you describe your unique leadership style? Hmm. Well, you know, it's probably better if you ask them, but <laughs> they would know better. But... <laughs> I would have to say that I train, and I've just recently trained a guy like on fast speed so that I could retire because he started in October. I had to get totally up to speed on a whole bunch of, uh, you know, both brewing and malting. Mm -hmm. um, but I was kind of actually watching myself train because, you know, um, I've done it so often. I would say that I, I really like repetition. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, one time I went to Arthur Murray and was taking dance lessons and they would teach you like five or six different dances in an hour. And then you'd come back and they'd teach you five or six more and there was no repetition. And I'm thinking, maybe this is how they get people to keep taking dancing lessons forever. But this is not my goal. So I said, just teach us the shuffle or what I don't know what it's called. Um, one dance, you know, and then that's it. And, and none others, um, different steps with the same dance. So that's how I train is that I really, I really kind of break it down. And um, um, originally when I was at Steelhead, I would just have, I would have a whole brew day because we were in production there. And so we had to actually be brewing beer. And so we would brew beer and then I would have the brewers after the brew day was done, we'd sit down and have them try to remember it. And of course they couldn't really. So I, I would just verbally tell them from memory and they would take notes and then they would the next day brew from their notes up until their notes stopped. Then we'd continue brewing. And then the end of that day, I would just be verbally telling them then, and they'd write it in their own notes and they kept brewing off of their notes until their notes were complete. And then they could keep brewing off of their notes. And then, and then once I felt like their notes were corrected, then we would have two solo brews, one with me in the other room and one with me off-site but available by phone. Oh, and then a third one where I'm off-site and not available by phone. But what I've begun doing lately 
and because I've had the luxury of being able to brew without brewing, which means that we would do like a cold water brew day and then a hot water brew day. And then I would have them just practice small bits. Like this is the most complex step where we are, we are chilling um, the wort through the heat exchange with water. And then we are pitching yeast and we are then firing up the oxygen through the aeration stone. And, um, and these are what you got to be doing with the valves. And so I would just have them practice like just their hands on the valve movements, the two valves that have to be like almost in sequence or almost uh, uh, like simultaneous, but not quite. And so, um, so this time um, I just had this guy like basically brewing with no beer um, and practicing these the, where their complexities were. And that way we could get through a brew day faster, mm-hmm. you know, okay, it's time to add hops. Where do you get them? How do you do it? Measure it out. But then, you know, we pretend to throw the hops in and then we boil it for what? 30 seconds. We go on to the next thing. We're not really boiling for 90 minutes. And that worked so well that with his first actual brew day, he actually was able to brew the whole day with me just watching and then correcting him and watching out for safety issues. So he was able to to be solo on brewing very, very quickly because of just practicing all the aspects Hmm. and taking notes and then doing some repetition on those aspects. Wow. You definitely have a, you know, an approach that you've, you've tailored and learned from over the years, it sounds like. And, um, it's just really cool to think about, you know, because the industry is, is not that big when you really think about it. So to have trained that many brewers, that many brewers, it's just really incredible to think about what kind of impact that has, which kind of leads me to, you know, my next question of what does it feel like to have been responsible for that kind of ripple effect in the industry by training those brewers who have gone on to build careers and, you know, influence other brewers in their time who have then trained other people? What does it feel like to think about that ripple effect? It's pretty cool. I mean, some of them are very, very famous with very famous breweries at this point. I'm like, they were guys. You know, you go, guys. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, I haven't trained a lot of women, uh, which is interesting because there weren't, you know, really when I was brewing um, through Steelhead for those, you know, well, 17 years at Steelhead and two years previous at like Golden Gate and Triple Rock. And then brewing uh, six years, six and a half years at uh, Great Western. I had some women brewers at Great Western, but mostly prior to that, um, you know, there weren't a lot of women applying, Mm -hmm. you know, shall we say. There were a few, um, and I'm thinking of some of those right now. One of them still brewing in Indiana, I believe, one of the women. Um, But for the most part, there were, (laughs) women were not really knocking down my door to doors to start come and be a brewer. I mean, it's interesting when I first became a brewer, I, I attended the Siebel Institute in Chicago in 1988, um, the diploma course, which was the big course at the time. And I went into brewing and, and my friends uh, who were, you know, in the corporate world still or whatever, 
they, they why do you want to be a brewer? It's kind of dirty and it's really, you know, dangerous and you have to be on your feet all day. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm not that good at sitting still. So uh, <laughs> ask Laura Ulrich in the Big Boot Society. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very good at sitting still. I'm running around all the time. So at any rate, um, um, it's pretty cool to feel like, I mean, there were 54 people who, if they wanted to, could take what I taught them and and blow it up. You know, some of them took it and went, decided on other careers or whatever, and others just took it and blew it up, mm-hmm. you know, and became um, brewery owners or, you know, brewers for other people. They, they're all over. So a lot of them I lost track of, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, um, but I think it's pretty cool because that's, I mean, Pick Boots is my legacy, but that's like a little tiny bit of a legacy too, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, I, I basically took the, the Triple Rock way of brewing, you could call it the Triple Rock School of Brewing, and made it into the Steelhead School of Brewing, kind of changed it a bit, and then changed it further at Great Western, but... You know, now I guess you could say it's the Terry Fandrup School of Brewing, and there's only so many people who attended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What are some of the biggest lessons you have learned during your journey as a brewmaster? Um, it's important to be stubborn and trust yourself. Um, I feel that, I mean... Some people are going to think this is a little far out, but I feel that your future self is guiding you through your intuition and your dreams. And if you listen to your intuition and your dreams, you will go where you need to be and you will go far. Um, and that's going to be your best possible future. Um, if The only time I really get in trouble in life is when I ignore my intuition. Yeah, That's when yeah. I really get in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely so, I hear you on that one. Another lesson that I learned on my brewing journey is that when you are interviewing for a job, you need to do as much interviewing of your interviewer as they are doing interviewing is for you, uh, with you. They are looking for uh, somebody, uh, somebody to hire, so they're going to ask you their questions. But you are looking for an employer that you actually want to work for, mm-hmm. so you need to ask as many questions and there have been interviews I've been in where the interviewer wasn't very prepared so I basically led the entire interview with my questions which jogged their memory for some of their questions but my very first um, paid brewing job they went bankrupt two months later and they unbeknownst to me they had canceled workman's comp insurance and I was injured on the job and it was it was a big mess. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to my website, terryfandroff.com, you can read all about it, my worst day in brewing. But having been through that, where basically there was no insurance to help with my third-degree burns and my one-month stay in the hospital, and there, um, and they bounced two out of my four paychecks because uh, uh, it was a fraud kind of a deal, and then they went bankrupt and whatever, Um I, uh, I'm now very astute about interviewing employers. Mm-hmm. You know, if an employer has been through a bankruptcy, maybe you want to find out what they've done to change their evil ways so that you don't have to have them bouncing your paychecks again. Um, when I came to my next job, 
uh, not the very next job, but there was a new startup that I started that I worked with, and I was there three weeks before my first paycheck came, and they said, "Oh, we forgot to open that bank account since you're the only, the only employee in that, you know, that new business. You're setting up the brewery and everything." They said, "Can you wait till Monday?" I said, either you give me my paycheck today or I'm walking out and I'm not coming back. And you have to be willing to do that. And I said, it is not my problem that you guys had three weeks of having a new employee and you haven't opened that bank account. I said, write me an expense check if you if you just can't figure out how to do the whatever, the tax stuff. You got, you got money. You started a business. Write me out a check, mm -hmm. any kind of check but I need my paycheck today mm -hmm. or I'm not coming back. And they did it. Mm -hmm. They pulled it off that day. And so um, you got basically that lesson is stick up for yourself because nobody else is going to do it for you. You know, if, if I had already been through, I told them, I told you when I interviewed that I had worked for these people who went under belly up because, you know, they had one of their partners was stealing all the money, all the revenue incoming in from the business, mm -hmm. you know, and then they were bouncing paychecks and stuff and not telling us. And in fact, because I had just gone there just for this job, I didn't have a place to live with. So I was crashing on the floor with friends and commuting there. And so I was using the work address for my mailing address. So my bank, yeah, nothing was online then. So my my statements from my bank saying your paycheck bounced or whatever, they were stealing those out of the mail. So they were bouncing my paychecks and then taking, taking the letters from my bank. So I didn't know they were bouncing my paychecks and then my checks were bouncing. It was a mess. That is a mess. Yeah. Holy cow. It's just a mess. And then when I was injured there due to faulty training, they promised me that they would have the previous brewer train me and that brewer chose not to walk through the doors again. He wasn't happy uh, working at that place. And so um, so I, nobody trained me, and that's a big part of how I was injured because I got bad advice and no training. I mean, you can't hardly go from five gallons, you know, to ten barrels um, without some training, mm -hmm. proper training. So I'm very, very safety conscious when I train people. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I play tricks on people when I train them. Because I know that when someone's going to, let's say, disconnect a hose from the pump, they always stand right in front so that all of the, the liquid that's in the, in the hose coming out of the pump and going up, let's say, for CIP up to the top of the fermenter is going to come back down that long hose and it's going to spray out the front of the pump, which is the in on the pump. So that's why we do a cold water brew day. We do the hot water, cold water brew day. Um, I let it spray all over their shoes because I explain it to them. And we do we do a hot water brew day. And when we're doing the hot water, I make them stand out of the way. I remind them. But if I'm doing a cold water brew day and they choose to stay in the wrong place, I keep my mouth shut. And as soon as they get sprayed with the cold water all over their boots and the bottom of their pants, then they've learned, you know, in a way that my verbally telling them it's not going to mm -hmm. stick. And so then I watch them and we're doing a real brew day. And if they're standing in the wrong place, I said, do you remember the last time you were standing there and you unhooked that clamp? Mm -hmm. Remember what happened? Oh, I got sprayed. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should stand to the side. Mm -hmm. And so um, so that, that's the kind of tricks I play is, is where basically I allow them to get wet with cold water 
if if they forgot what I taught them already. And then they always remember it after that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I want to touch on the big news that you have, have shared with the community. And um, so congratulations on your retirement uh, from a long, successful brewing career. Uh, what's next for you with the Pink Boot Society? Well, um, you know, I took a break from heavy volunteering <laughs> because I burned myself out trying to run and grow Pink Boot Society. I mean, it was just like a wildcat, an uncaged wildcat, which you have in a burlap sack or something, you couldn't contain it. And it was growing like crazy. And so after nine years, um, I passed it to uh, Laura Ulrich, who then had the wildcat in a burlap sack and she tamed that baby. She was awesome. And um, thank God she stayed in the role for five years. But I did take a very, very long break. Um, it was time for me to have hobbies other than pink boots. And um, now that I'm retired from my day job in the beer industry at Great Western Malting, which was a great job for a long time, but I'm ready for something else. And now, um, now well, I'm... I'm going to travel. I'm going to go do Pink Boots collaboration, you know, brew days like crazy every March, I hope. And um, and I'm going to open a little one-person business, uh, my pottery studio called Rain Dragon Studio. That'll be fun. And But for Pink Boots, that means Pink Boots gets to be a hobby again because my hobby becomes my, quote, retirement job. And then my hobby, now my hobby space is vacant. <laughs> right? <laughs> it was awesome. So now, now I have time for Pink Boots as a hobby again. And so, you know, looking at Pink Boots and with my my experience, many, 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 many years of experience, um, and what I want for the big picture for Pink Boots and its members, I have decided the best role I can fulfill is to become what I call the pay it forward coach or the PIF coach. Um, every Pink Boots member who is a recipient of a scholarship has a requirement that they have to pay it forward. And I came up with that plan when I was, you know, like I said, nobody ever told me how to start an organization. So I'm starting it and I'm thinking, okay, we're going to do these scholarships, but only a few women are going to be able to be recipients. So how are we going to benefit all of our members? And in fact, how can we pay it back to the entire brewing community? And I thought the, the recipients will have to pay it forward. And in my own brain, I feel that Pink Boots is a great place for women to learn how to become leaders. Mm -hmm. I really want Pink Boots Society members to become the female uh, fermented beverage industry industries leaders of tomorrow we all got to be at that leadership table and um really one two of the things that i think it's very important for leaders to be able to do and nobody's really teaching anybody this is to be able to speak publicly and to write articles that are succinct enough and interesting enough to be published so that's really the the basis of the pay it forward you need to Take an aspect of something that you learned in your course that your scholarship was for, and not about the scholarship itself. You know, they got descriptions of those scholarships elsewhere. We, what we want to know is, let's say you took a, a, you know, 
say the Siebel Concise Course in Brewing Technology, you're going to learn about the Krebs life cycle of yeast. Maybe that's going to be your subject focus. Mm -hmm. And then you might have to do some research outside of your you know, scholarship course to really get some meat and potatoes in there. But then you, you might write an article on the Krebs life cycle of yeast. And then either you're going to try to get it published or you're going to give a talk on it. And, of course, my goals for, for the members are that they shoot as high as possible. They, they either give a talk at, let's say, the Craft Brewers Conference, the Master Brewers Conference, some kind of the European Brewing Congress Conference, something big, or um, get it published in New Brewer Magazine, Zymergy Magazine, something like that. And, um, and, and it's really important. Um, and a lot of our members who are receiving scholarships are still pretty young, and so they haven't done these things in the past. But they need to in order to become leaders. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I know some of them have in the past have really taken shortcuts on the pay it forward. They're like, well, you know, I threw a little party at my brewery for my local Pink Boots chapter. And that's paying it forward? No. This is not helping the, the largest number of people possible. The entire brewing industry or the entire Pink Boots membership, or if not that, then at least your chapter, but teaching them something specific, technical, or something that you learned in your scholarship so that we can all walk away with more technical knowledge that's going to help us, all of us, advance our own careers through the education that you were lucky enough to be a recipient of. So I'm going to help, I hope, help our recipients up their game and not just throw a party for their local Pink Boots chapter members at their brewery. No, 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 no. That's not good enough for me. <laughs> I love. I want, every, I want everybody to benefit. Yeah, no, I love that. Especially, you know, um, thinking about, you were talking about the, the skill of being able to speak public publicly and be mm -hmm. leaders on topics. And by, um, you know, facilitating this portion of the scholarship where you take the information that you've learned, you dissect it, and then it's kind of like, you know, the best way to learn is to teach, right? And so kind of sharing that knowledge and turning it around then makes you um, more educated on the topic that you, you were just bringing in. Um, and but what I'm what I am envisioning when you're talking about that is what we're going to see is in a couple years after this program is we're going to see all these panelists who are previous Pink Boots scholarship recipients who have you know, skills in public speaking. And then those who sit, you know, and decide on panels for different conferences, see that person speaking, he said, Oh, they did a really good job. I'm going to see if they're going to want to come for for this forum or for this panel. And it just creates this cycle. So what we're going to see is a very diverse panel in hopefully a few years and, and, you know, kind of based on let's get these recipients who have gain this knowledge, let's get them out there as public uh, speakers and, and share that technical knowledge. Uh, so I, I love that component of the, of the uh, pay it forward portion of the scholarship. That's awesome. Well, that, that's exactly a big part of it is that I want Pink Boots members to basically feed the pipeline mm -hmm. for, for speakers and writers in the fermented beverages industry. Mm -hmm. I want when, when Nancy Johnson is trying to fill out the speaker list for the CBC, 
I want her to feel like, wow, let's see who at, at Pink Boot Society needs to pay it forward mm-hmm. and what their topics could be. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm not seeing 50% of the speakers on the panels or up there speaking alone as women. Mm-hmm. The only place I see that is at the Pink Boot Society conference. And we also want to feed that that pipeline mm-hmm. that that there's I mean, there's such an amazing diversity and breadth of skill level and knowledge level within Pink Boot Society. Let's get those women up there mm-hmm. where we can all learn from them because they're amazing. The other thing is that when women are showing up and stepping up as leaders and speaking publicly and writing and getting published publicly, there are other women who are, let's say, dabbling with the idea of going pro in one of the fermented beverages industries, but they're like, you know, I've never seen anyone who looks like me mm-hmm. in this industry. But then if there are these leaders, these new baby leaders, shall we call them, that are coming out of pink boots, um, some, you know, there's going to be a woman or someone who identifies as a woman somewhere who says they look like me. Um, and if they can do it, I can do it because mm-hmm. that's who our heroes are. These are the people who inspire us. I was in part inspired by Melly Pullman, who was the very first, um, the very first uh, uh, craft woman brewmaster in the United States that I know of. And I saw her in 1988 get on stage during the Great American Beer Festival and receive a medal. Mm-hmm. And she's my exact size. Mm-hmm. And I thought, she's she she's my size. If she can do it physically, so can I. And I met some other people, happened to be men, who, who like, say, attended the Siebel Institute. And one of them was John Meyer, recently retired from Rogue Brewing. And I thought, wow, if he can make the switch from high tech, because he was a senior aircraft engineer at Hughes Aircraft in Los Angeles, if he can make the jump from high tech to brewing and survive financially, then I can do that too. So, um, it, you know, we all have our, um, the people who inspire us. And even if you've been inspired by someone else, you yourself will be inspiring the next mm-hmm. group of people coming through. You know, somewhere out there is a baby podcaster who's being inspired by you. I can only hope. (laughs) I'm inspired. Maybe I should start a podcast. It's pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. So, um, you know, so we all all need to step up and be there for each other for, for support. We all need to step up and inspire each other. We all need to step up, help each other, teach each other. And um, help each other just become as smart as we can all be. Oh, that's wonderful! I love all those, all those words and and, and your your viewpoints on, um, you know, creating a an inspiring community for others. Uh, which, um, you know, I I just be interested to hear a little bit more about what are your hopes for women who are pursuing careers in beer or in brewing or in something related. What are your hopes? My number one hope is that they stay safe and have zero injuries throughout their long, long career. And that's my next hope is that they have as long of a career in fermented beverages as they want to. And that if they get bored with one aspect of it, maybe they're like, I've been brewing forever. I'm tired of it. I want to go do kombucha or I want to go do spirits or I've been doing spirits in their little bit 
trouble for me because the alcohol, I'm going to go do kombucha where there's no alcohol, but I still get to ferment stuff. I mean, you know, keep yourself safe uh, physically, mentally, um, emotionally, and, um, you know, uh, you know, tap into the sisterhood here for friends and knowledge and inspiration and um, be stubborn and be brave and be amazing and be the best that you could be. Um, and if uh, and if somebody is not supporting you, um, listen to your intuition. If you feel like you're not safe or you're not being supported, get the hell out before something bad happens. I mean, there's always warnings. Okay, maybe not always, but sometimes there's warnings. And um, if you're not listening to your intuition, that's how you get into trouble. So listen to your intuition, listen to your dreams, and um, be the most amazing you. And when you reach your dreams, uh, find more, find new ones. I mean, I've been able to accomplish more than I ever dreamed within the beer industry. But when I was injured um, with those third-degree burns and I was in the hospital getting skin grafts, and I really had to think about, oh, my gosh, my friends are right. This is a dirty, dangerous job. You know, do I really want to be a brewer? Is it worth it? I mean, I'd only been brewing for two months before I was injured. And I said to my, and I really had to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with myself, and I said to myself, I have not accomplished what I set out to do. Mm -hmm. Well, now... I have accomplished way more than I ever set out to do. And when you think something is hard, go toward it. I mean, do I think that starting Pink Boot Society was a walk in the park? It was the hardest thing I ever did. It just took everything out of me. But the beauty of Pink Boot Society, and we'll call it a her because she is she's a her, and um, she is a very, very demanding girl, Pink Boot Society is. But the more you give to her, the more you get out of her. So if you want to get more out of your Pink Boot Society membership, then you start giving back. You start volunteering. Um, you just, you mean, if you're just, if you're going around saying the word they when it comes to Pink Boot Society, then, then you haven't quite got it down because it is we. It is us. Pink Boots is all of us. And it takes a team to build Pink Boot Society. It doesn't happen by itself. It's not some big corporate monster, they, that is making decisions for you. If you don't like the decisions that Pink Boots is making, then you better run for local chapter leader, local finance leader, uh, national leader. Um, and when you move, make friends there too. And, and, and you know, meet, heck, when you go just on vacation, you know, maybe you want to try to hook up with a, a foreign chapter or a faraway chapter and just say, what are they doing? Let me see if I can go on the Pink Boots website and track down the chapter leader. And, oh, my gosh, they're having a meeting. And here I am from Portland, but I was visiting, I'm making it up, Florida or wherever. And I was able to attend a Pink Boots meeting. And they're doing things completely different than our chapter. But I really liked what they're doing. So I'm going to bring that home. It's just a cross-fertilization of ideas. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, be a recruiter, if nothing else, uh, because the more that we can encourage our sisters and other fermentation disciplines besides beer to come join us, the smarter we all get, because 
what they're doing in cider or in kombucha or spirits or wine definitely cross fertilizes with what's happening in beer. I mean, everybody is not, well, not everybody, but a lot of breweries have been into like the wild yeasts and bacteria and um, the wild beers and spontaneous stuff and the folders and the barrels. And you know what? That a lot of that came out of people who had worked in wine for a while. Mm -hmm. So what is going to come out of the people who have cross fertilized with cider or spirits or kombucha? I don't know, but I can't wait to find out. It's going to be amazing. I mean, you want to get out of your, you know, if you want to think outside the box, get inside someone else's box and, and dream together and see what your two heads or 12 heads can come up with. It'll be awesome. Yes, wonderful. I loved all those sentiments and, um, you know, inspirations and encouragement um, that you were sharing, excellent words of encouragement um, to, to just to share with listeners. Uh, so I couldn't think of a better way to, to wrap up today. Um, thank you, Terry, for joining me and, and sharing your thoughts and your experiences. It is an honor to have someone who has had such a strong impact on this industry and, and absolutely forged a community for women uh, with a wide-reaching impact. Uh, so, And thank you, listeners, for joining on this episode and the journey of Bigger Than Beer, Season 1, Women Plus in the Industry. We have learned a lot through this journey, and I am thankful you all have joined in to listen to women discuss their contributions, their stories, and I'm thankful uh, you know, you all have joined in to 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 this discussion, to this project, um, as we explored trying to make positive change within our own community. We have broached tough subjects, we have challenged ourselves to be better, we've asked questions and brainstormed how can we build a better future. Let's continue on this path of exploration and learning. We will be back with season two with a new focus but the same mission. Together, let's create something bigger than beer.